Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, the show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, it is, uh, what day is today? Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. It is Friday. Thank God it's it's Friday. Friday. You know, that was one of my favorite times on television. TGIF? That was the best. They had yep. Family Matters and uh, what step else? Step by step. Oh, you, there was a time, man. Power Rangers. On Friday nights? Yes. That's when Power Rangers was at the height of its popularity, like the zenith. I was never they, a Power Rangers guy. You missed out. It was such a good time. It was exciting. Lord Zed came in and tried to step up against the Power Rangers, but the Green Ranger, he came in. And, and then eventually the White Ranger, he came in and stepped up. It was dope. That man. sounds super racist, is what it sounds like. The green and the white. Well, Who's the white, green? I mean, it sounds like the white ninja was the the one that the was white the... ranger ranger. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, they were different colors. There was red and black and blue and yellow and pink. See, I was. And then t- they had more colors than that. I was a teenage mutant ninja turtles fan. I was that too. Yeah, yeah. That was me every Saturday morning watching the show growing up. Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah. Oh, bring those days back. You know, that's one thing our kids will never know. No. Isn't that crazy? It is. It's it's kind of a sad. I mean, and granted, I think. That, that time of life what was what from the fifties until whatever that was. Now that we have streaming Saturday morning cartoons are any day of the week, any time of the week cartoons. Right. And they're not as good anymore. I don't know, man. I really like bluey. Yeah. Bluey is actually clutch. Yeah. My, my nephews are big blippy fans. Blippy. And, uh, is that a playoff of bluey? No, you haven't encountered blippy. Let me take a quick look. As you're I talking mean, about it. Let me see if I, I can. I'm just up. saying, I think Tabitha, I think it's right up her alley right now. It's uh, it's not a cartoon. It's a dude, oh. Um, oh. and he's got like a a voice that is in octaves that no man should ever speak in. And okay. he gets super excited about things like shapes and okay. food. Okay, and uh, I've never seen this guy. He in does my entire tours life. of like kid museums and things like that. He's 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 big. He's what, big on the kid scene. What network days. is he on? He's got. You can find him on YouTube. He's got like I think his own YouTube channel. I think I don't know if Netflix has him or whatever, but. I, I, we don't have Netflix because we're Christians. I, go ahead. I care not for Blippi <laughs> as far as the show goes. I don't know anything about the dude, but yeah, it, it's it's obnoxious. It's uh, it's really, really obnoxious. Bluey, though, is I feel like as an adult, I can watch Bluey and chuckle. And, and really enjoy it. It's actually, so I, I sent, uh, I, there was a link of on IMDb, one of their episodes, and I, and I just off my memory here, season two episode nine i think it's called sleepy time we're in a different realm now than i expected us to get to yes yeah well because okay i was i was on x is this a story about the unicorn no what are you talking about oh (laughs) i'm on x.com which sounds terrible hold on let's back up and just mark when you said i was on x and you're talking about a kid show (laughs) i was on i was watching it while i was on x (laughs) i was on what was formerly known as twitter and i saw this guy who reported the IMDb, so it ranks movie shows, right? That kind of thing, uh, ranking that one of the best episodes of all time. They're saying is this season two, episode nine of Bluey, which is called Sleepy Time. So I went and watched it because I had time. I was like, oh, cool, let me just check this out, and because they're only like nine, nine, ten minutes episodes, it was surprising. Mean, I, whoever made these guys, I'm just, I got to give my hat. Four hours later, you came out of the bluey fog and you're like, man, that, that's the greatest show I've ever seen. It, it, I mean, seriously, it's up there. It is so good. Yeah. It, 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 and it's not like weird. There's no wokeism and weird sexuality right. or anything like that. It's just such a, it's a pure show. 
and it shows a, a family that does family things and it does it well. Is that the dad is involved and he's Do you ever an find idiot. yourself dad shamed though a little bit with the guy? Like he's he's like never like no go away. I don't want to play with you right now. <laughs> I don't I don't know what he does for a living, but he's always available. Yeah, he's I guess always home a little bit, a little bit. But yeah. I think it's a in a good way. It's aspirational. Right. Doesn't feel like he's trying to dad shame you. So that episode was particularly good. I enjoyed it. It was very funny. I, I think. It's worth watching. It is worth watching. There's a lot of junk out there today. Bluey's up there. Blue? Yeah. It's not junk. Bluey's up there in terms of the good stuff. Right. Uh, no, I was differentiating. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Hey, we got a, a question submitted to the uh, podcast at compassntx.org email address that we felt would be good to bring here to the episode. So uh, that has to do with the law. So 10 commandments, a lot of times we talk about the 10 commandments today and we say, hey, yeah, we're still supposed to obey these commandments minus the the Sabbath regulations. We'll talk about that another time. That's probably worth revisiting as well. But um, but the other nine certainly would say are still binding today and we need to obey those. And so this uh, listener said, hey, well, what do we do with the rest of the law? Why is this any different? Are we not supposed to obey uh, you know, these, these other laws, the case law that we have been covering in, in Exodus? Do we just set that aside? And, and if so, why? If not, then what does that look like for believers? So, uh, Pastor Rod, let's get your thoughts on what do we do with case law versus the Ten Commandments? How should we approach the laws in, in the book of Exodus? What what should we do as Christians with the, the rest of the law? So, a couple things to, to, to lay the table out for us here. The book of Exodus is primarily going to be the Mosaic law. That's the covenant that God made with Moses, hence the name Mosaic. And it's God's connection with Israel, how they were going to, there was a legal agreement about how they were going to respond to his, uh, to his leadership and to his lordship in their lives. And so the Mosaic covenant is being laid out. And the 10 commandments are the first, uh, Exodus chapter 20, you have the 10 commandments laid out, um, that the challenge with that is that today we still, even as Christians, and we talked about Ray comfort, he, he will use the 10 commandments when he's doing the way of the master method, talking to people, have you lied, have you stolen? So why is that legitimate if, as we understand it, the Mosaic law has been, been fulfilled? Okay. There's, there, there's, there's the, the trouble. And here's how I answer this. And I'm going to offer a hat tip to Grudem. Grudem's the guy that I think, in my estimation, best handles this question. Wayne Grudem, by the way. Wayne Grudem. Yep. um, Which, yeah, he has a book called Christian Ethics, well worth your your reading. Uh, He's got a couple chapters in there, I think, that deal with this very subject. But long story short, Mosaic Law has been fulfilled. It's been uh, completely fulfilled in Christ. Uh, There's there's no room to say that the Mosaic Law in any way, shape, or form is legitimate has legitimate hold on the Christian, except for that which is communicated or repeated in the New Testament. So when it comes to the Ten Commandments, I'm going to say the Ten Commandments are still valid minus the Sabbath commandment because they're all repeated in the New Testament. Um, and that's why we we find them to be a helpful and universal framework to work from. And in fact, even before that, you could say Genesis 1 through Exodus 19 are also universal because those happen before the Mosaic Covenant is, is enacted. And therefore, what you read in those areas is also helpful. That said, one qualifier, that doesn't mean that everything that you read in the, in the Old Testament that's under the Mosaic Law is no longer helpful or no longer wise because you still have God's wisdom on display, right. which is why when you look at the case law, I'm like, that's helpful. I want to I learn from that. I want to understand what righteousness and justice looks like, even though it's not necessarily binding on me in the same way that New Testament law is. So yeah. that would be my short answer. What would you say? Yeah, I think that's helpful. I, I think to build on what you were just saying at the end there, there are th- principles that we can draw. For example, the, the idea of um, not moving your neighbor's uh, boundary marker. That's something that the the Old Testament law repeats time and time again, and, and that, that had to do with 
the the property lines. Now we live in a in a society where we can't really move our, our property lines. It's not like we can bump the fence. I guess we could, but our neighbors it'd be pretty obvious <laughs> if we were like, hey, I'm going to take part of your yard. Yard. But there's a principle that we can draw from that. That is to say that we need to be good and, and upright neighbors. We need to be honest with our neighbors. We need to be right. people of integrity with that. So I think there are principles from the Old Testament law that we can take from even the Mosaic law and apply to our lives today uh, without by letter of the law saying we have to do X, Y, and Z and be bound by those things. Because to your point, they've been fulfilled in Christ, which the, the listener also asked that question. Okay, so is it just that, that Christ has fulfilled it and so now we don't have to worry about it? And I think that's where in your, uh, your counsel there that, that the ones that are repeated in the New Testament, those are certainly binding on us. And certainly that's the Ten Commandments. And then to be wise and, and say, okay, what's the principle being communicated here behind this law? And should it apply uh, as we think about it? Like we're going to come up in the next couple of days here on do not boil a goat in its mother's milk, which is kind of the most obscure one that a lot of people bring up. Well, yeah, that, that had hard. a lot to do with. I, I, from my understanding, the cultic practices surrounding Israel. And so that was when you look into that, it's like, okay, well, is it wrong for me to boil a goat and it's mother's milk? No, it's, it's weird today <laughs> to do that. But is it wrong? No, because culturally it's not communicating the same things, but I can draw a principle out of that that says, man, I'm, I'm not supposed to, to engage in the same kind of practices that uh, the, the Mormons engage in, that the Jehovah's Witnesses engage in, that, that the, the, the Muslims engage in. We need to, to not mix religious practices with our pursuit of Christianity. So we can draw mm-hmm. principles out that help us, even if we're not going to apply the exact wording of the law itself. Right. It's still the word of God and we still honor and revere it as such, but how we apply it changes because we're under a different covenant now. And, and that's an important facet of this whole conversation. In fact, being under the law of Christ, as Paul calls it, the obligation is actually higher because yeah. we have the law of God written on our hearts and not on tablets of stone alone. Right. We have the spirit of God, the, we have the word of God, and now the standard for us is far greater and far higher than what it's ever been under the Mosaic law. Yeah, and remember, it's all gonna fall into one of those two categories. Is this expression of my love for God or is this an expression of my love for other people? Right. Uh, and even the Mosaic law, those principles boil down to that as well. Sure. No pun intended with the word boil there. <laughs> oh. All right, well, let's get into Exodus chapter 30 through 32. Hopefully that uh, that discussion was helpful for you guys. If, if it prompted more questions, feel free to submit them. Uh, again, podcast at compassntx.org, and that will come to us, and we will address those as, we, uh, as we're able to. All right, so Exodus chapter 30, we get more temple furnishings here, starting with the altar of incense. And the altar of incense in verses 1 through 6, we get the, the, the construction of it and its location, where it was supposed to go. Um, it's, it's function then is laid out in verses seven through 10 for it. And, uh, and note in verse six that this was a, a pretty significant piece because it was placed right in front of the veil, right, right on the other side of the Holy of Holies. So it's, it's not in the Holy of Holies. It's not in the same area as the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, but this is right outside the veil. This is right before the, the place where God's glory dwelt. Uh, incense was, uh, unique for the, the people. It wasn't unique to Israel. It was, it was observed and, and used in other religious practices. Other, uh, nations would use incense in the worship of their gods, but Israel is commanded to use incense here. It's interesting to me how many times God references a sweet smelling aroma and paying attention to the aroma of things. And, and it makes me wonder, okay, mm-hmm. does, does God have, what is that? Olfactory? That's that's the nasal <laughs> yeah, olfactory right? glands. Yeah. yeah. Does nose. does he have the ability to actually appreciate a, a smell? Like, is that something? I, I assume he does, but th- he's spirit, right? So anthropomorphism here and, and all that. I don't know where that factors in, but he does care about incense and sweet smelling aromas and 
so forth and so on. I think some of that's metaphorical, but maybe some is literal. Incense, though, what are we dealing with here? Well, in, in Revelation chapter 5, I believe it is, we get the 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 bowls of incense there being poured out, and, and those are the prayers of the saints, and they represent in the, at the end there uh, the prayers of, of the saints, the prayers of the, the believers that are offered before the Lord. And so it's it's potential here that, uh, that that's si- si- similar, that's the word I'm looking for there, uh, to what's going on here with the altar of incense that this represented even the worship and the prayers of the Israelites being something that would have been pleasing to the Lord as it was offered. You know, it's funny, as you just said, the the concept of God smelling a sweet aroma. So I'm thinking now, okay, does the fact that he's spirit limit or minimize his physical engagement with creation, and I would have to think no. I, I I think he, granted, he doesn't have olfactory glands. We would say that definitely, right? But I don't know that it doesn't mean that he can't perceive something that smells good. Now, which is interesting because I'm not sure that a burnt carcass smells good. I you know because it, it, you know a burnt offering is you burn the whole thing. Well, at some point in the burnt offering, it smells really good. At some point, for yeah, but then it stops because then it starts smelling like char. Right. <laughs> it's like okay, this isn't as enjoyable. So at some point, it's sweet smelling, I suppose. But I guess being spirit, God being spirit, I, I don't know that that limits his perception of physical realities because physical because smell is a physical perception. There's things right. in the air that you can actually smell. I would have to think that he he can not only smell that, but that he can perceive it better than than we even can. That he smells in, in a different way, yeah. not physical, but he still perceives it. It got me thinking of that that Luther quote. Have you heard this one? <laughs> Luther said, "There's a lot of Luther quotes." There's I, a lot I, of I Luther. mean, I don't okay. know. I, I'm going to beep out the part that I think may not be as, as savory. I resist the devil. And often it is with a, uh, a, a, a smell that comes out the other side, right? That I chase him away. <laughs> Luther was a character, man. He was, he was man, that guy. I don't get him. But yeah. anyway, that, sorry. I, I, you got me thinking. And about, that's where my brain about Luther and Luther uh, and what he talked about. Well, except, and, and apparently Luther thought the devil could smell things too. He apparently thought, well, <laughs> I, man, I, I don't know. I, I There's smells that I really enjoy. And so I hope in our glorified bodies in eternity that we, that will be part of our worship of God. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't it be? I, it, I'm sure it will. It would have to be, right? It would. Because yeah. we remain, we, we, we keep our physicality. We're going to be able to eat. It's glorified. And if we can taste, so much of our taste is connected to our, our scent. There is no way we would be in sense. heaven without smelling. Without smelling. Yeah. Without smell. I love smell. Will there be bad smells though? I think bad smells, I mean... Because that's so subjective, right? Well, is it though? Well, okay. If it's unhealthy smells, sickness, like sickness, death, right. disease, that's, that, that smell, that yeah, that won't be there. But, but the other like, stuff... School, the, the, this is a weird glimpse inside the mind of your pastor, but the uh, the smell of the exhaust from a school bus, like that's got a nostalgic smell for me. I actually enjoy it. I that's, like the smell of a diesel engine. Okay. Okay. And some people are like, that's the worst. I hate that smell. I don't that's think so that's going to be in heaven, bro. Well, or, or like a boat on a water because my grandfather had a boat. And so that like that gasoline in water smell, like I, it, it's a nostalgic smell. Here's why I think that won't be there. Though. I don't huff engines, by the way, just in case. I mean, well, I've seen you. I've seen you sniffing around the exhaust pipe of your, your Explorer. Now it all makes sense. Yikes. <laughs> exhaust suggests waste. Okay. I don't think there's going to be waste. In oh, man, we I'm talked about this before. I'm disappointed. 
Uh, well, maybe God will give you a candle. Bus in heaven. Maybe God will give you a candle that is exhaust it's smell. It's going to smell like that. Just like a, <laughs> just the, for you. The, what a weird candle. It probably exists. I'm there. sure it does. It probably does. There's a, there's a candle that is the Apple store smell or the smell of the Apple product. Like you can get a candle that smells like a, a new Apple product. I don't know that I want that. I, I love the smell of those, but I, that smells like chemicals to me. Uh, probably. I love the smell of an Apple product, but yeah. the thought of what that candle smells like feels like it would be yeah, a, a miss. I don't know. Well, verses 11 through 16, then we get this instruction on the census and there's going to be a census tax. Now it's important to note here. God was not commanding or commending a census. He was not ordering that a census should be taken. In fact, in many ways, a census was an, a demonstration of a lack of faith in God. And that will show up later on when David numbers the people and it was a, a temptation to put their trust in their numbers, in the trust in themselves rather than their faith and trust in God. So here God is commanding that along with the census should come this tax as a reminder that, that they were redeemed, that they were ransomed, that God is the one that is responsible for their freedom, uh, not their own strength and not their own might. And so this temple, this census tax was imposed and it wasn't, it wasn't chump change. Half, half a shekel was uh, was going to be a, a significant amount for people to pay, um, especially if you consider the, the poor people. So God is almost setting it up to where this would be an unpopular thing for anyone to take a census here to, to avoid its, its, uh, its happening. Verses 17 through 21, then we get the bronze basin that the priest would use to wash to purify themselves. And, and that should hopefully cause us to think of the book of Hebrews where we have a priest who didn't have to purify himself before making his offering on our behalf. And that is Jesus, the great high priest. But this was a, a, a basin that was there so that when the priest would come into contact with anything, be it a, a carcass or anything else, they could wash themselves, purify themselves before going on with the rest of their priestly duties there. And that's the, the significance of the bronze basin there. And then you get the anointing oil and incense uh, referred to there in verses 22 through 28. And what's interesting to note here is the oil wasn't necessarily proprietary in the sense that it was made from common ingredients. Anyone could make the oil. So there were specific instructions and commands necessary for the people to set aside this type of oil specifically for use for uh, the holy things, the, the priestly activities, the worship of of God and the anointing of of, uh, of the, the, the holy items there. So um, that's what was... Uh, Something that, that jumped out there about the, the oil and the incense. Anything there in, in chapter 30, PR? Well, just a quick uh, question for you. Uh, maybe we haven't talked about this yet. I don't think we have. What does it mean then that, uh, for instance, in verse 33 and in verse 38, whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Verse yeah. 38 says the same thing. Whoever makes any like it to use it as perfume shall be cut off from his people. My question is not about the incense necessarily, but, the, but about being cut off. Yeah. What does scripture typically mean when it says cut off? Is this person killed? Is this person just removed from the community? Right. Right. No, because when somebody is, when the death penalty is involved, scripture is clear to, to say that that person should be put to death. Uh, here it's, they're removed from fellowship. They're removed from the community of the people of God. They're put outside the camp, so to speak. They're mm -hmm. no longer, um, in fellowship with the people of Israel because they have defiled. This is this is what blasphemy is, is, is what we're reading about here. It's taking something that is holy, taking something that is elevated, and using it as though it's common. And so the the crime for, for blasphemy of this sort here was that they would be excluded from the people of Israel. Excommunication. Yeah. You can't come with us anymore. You're out. You and your family, most likely, based on other examples of, of punishment, are gone. You're no longer a part of the people of Israel. And I think that underscores just how important it is that the holy and the profane be separate, or the holy and the the, the normal, I guess, yeah. the non-holy. God cares so much about his holiness and the honor 
uh, that attends it, that he's willing to take drastic measures for anyone around to say, look, if you mix these two things up, you're going to have to pay the penalty for it. So I think any Israelite who's listening to Moses say these things is going to perk his ears up and say, oh, it's that important that if yeah. I were to do this, I, I sacrifice all of my social standing and all of my security by being part of the people of God. That's a big deal. Yep. Yeah. Well, chapter 31, we're going to hit real high level because we, we need to get to chapter 32 and we're running a little bit longer. because you spent on so much time. time at the beginning. They're just playing I around. Know. Well, you were talking about Bluey and all that stuff. That's so. a good recommendation. And though. then you were talking about Luther's uh, gas issues that he had. <laughs> this is an issue. Demonic gas issues at that. <laughs> Um, hey, so chapter 31, you have these two foremen basically identified by God as, as those that are going to lead the, uh, the construction of this, Oholiab and Bezalel. And uh, these are, are men that God has set aside. And uh, it note there that they, Bezalel, at least, was filled with the spirit of God for the work. And I think both of them probably were. They were equipped by God to use the, the skills and talents that they had naturally to be used towards uh, the, the good of the, the construction of the tabernacle. Just a good reminder to us, uh, we talk a lot about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and those that have different skills and benefits and talents. In fact, right now, people are, are working on building something for our Easter services to to put together that that I don't have the skill set to do or you, Pastor Ron. And, and Certainly not. They're using their abilities to do that, and God has gifted them to do that, and they're they're being used, used by God that way. They're building us an Easter bunny effigy that we will burn on Easter Sunday. It's going to be awesome. It's, it's going to be, be made of chocolate. It's going to be delicious. <laughs> yeah. No, chapter 32, um, speaking of effigies, we have uh, a situation because while Moses is up there, um, the, the people get impatient. And Pastor Rod's going to be preaching on patience to our men on uh, Saturday, actually. And, and my wife just preached on today? patience no, to tomorrow. the ladies. Tomorrow. Right. Yeah. Wife just preached on, uh, my wife just preached on patience to the ladies last weekend. And here you have the people of Israel not being patient. And Aaron, of all people, is leading the charge in this, it seems. At least he's complicit in it, for sure. Because they go to Aaron and say, hey, this Moses guy is gone. You're the guy now. Hey. And, and Aaron says to them, it just struck me so much. I, get, I grew so frustrated with Aaron in this because of his response at the end where he tells Moses, hey, look, it's not my fault. I just threw everything in and out came the calf. <laughs> he's such a, that's so awful, man. What's a horrible. terrible leader. It's horrible because he's collecting the gold from the people. Take off your rings. Give me everything you got. And he's putting it in there. And, and the text explicitly says that he fashioned it uh, with, with a grading tool and made the golden calf and then presented it and said, here's your God. And then he builds an altar and, and sacrifices and offers things before like Aaron is, is of anything, one of the most guilty people in, in all of this. And, uh, and God tells Moses, Hey, this is what's done. Moses comes down, shatters the tablets in anger at this. And there is uh, the punishment that goes forth where God judges the people and some of the people end up dying from this. And even the, the command of the Levites. Anyways, Pastor Rod, some of your observations here from chapter 32 before I go through all of it there. Well, I, just uh, well, a couple things. Number one, Aaron is the high priest. He's the first high priest and he fails Horribly. spectacularly. I think this this is God's way of showing, granted, this is not what God wanted because Aaron should not have done this, but this is God's way of showing, look, even the best among you are still men at best and they will not be what they should be. Aaron shows that there is a high priest that must come later who will do a better job than he does. Interesting to note too, later on, when we start looking at the consecration of the high priest, it's going to be first and foremost through the sacrifice of, get this, a calf. You'll see that later on. So don't forget that because it's going to be fun to relish in that irony. Secondly, uh, notice that how many people die. 
you see later in this chapter that 3,000 people are slain as a result of this. Now, that raises two questions at least. Number one, how many people were engaged in this? Because it seems like from the text, everybody was doing this. They were all having a good time playing and laughing and dancing, but only 3,000 die. So either A, it is 3,000 who engaged in this, who were leading the charge, who are still carousing, uh, or B, they represent a much greater number of people that were engaging in it. Just so happened that these are the 3000 that died. I'm not sure which way, which side I land on, except for the fact to say 3000 die. That's sufficient enough to say God takes it so seriously that he has to deal with it in a very vivid way. I'm sure there were husbands and brothers and perhaps wives and daughters that are part of this, this, this number here that lose their lives because of this rank idolatry. One more thing here. I think scripture also gives us room to say, well, who are they worshiping? It seems like potentially what's happening here is that they're trying to worship Yahweh through the means of an animal, through the means of a a fashioned calf. So it's not idolatry in the way that you and I might think of like, oh, they created a new God. Well, probably not. They call that God the Lord, uh, Yahweh. They just shape him into a calf, which is, of course, a violation of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make a graven image. This is, I think, part of the issue in chapter 32. Yeah, and Jeroboam's going to do the same thing later on in the divided kingdom. He's going to create two calves. And they're going to be one was not enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, one explanation I heard from the number there is that uh, the, the Levites, as they were charged to go through and, and execute people, uh, those that they were executing were people that were not truly repentant for what they had done and their complicity in, in, uh, in this, this act, in this rebellion. So that's possible, too. It's possible that the number 3,000 was such that people were given an opportunity to say, hey, we were, we were wrong. We recognize that. We're going to seek the Lord's forgiveness. And these are the rebels. Right. Well, verse 35 too, the Lord sent a plague on the people Yep. because of the cat. So not even, that wasn't even enough. Right. 3,000 was the number they killed, but there was still more like, God, you're not, you're not done yet. Right. You have not yet satisfied my wrath in this, which is terrifying. Right. Right. And it's just a reminder that, that great sin produces great wrath. And, uh, and that's where we see, um, depicted so clearly here from God and his people. This is the first major hiccup that we see with the Israelites, and there's going to be more, but this is the, the first one that uh, we see God is is ready to be done. And notice also here Moses' intercessory role. That, Crazy, uh, man. He intercedes. God says, hey, I'm going to start over with you. And, and Moses intercedes, and, and God responds um, to that and, uh, and yields. And, I think he represents the heart of a pastor. Yeah. This is Paul's heart in Romans 9. Yep. If I could give myself for their salvation, Paul says, and man, I, I wish that I could. Right. Moses is saying, look, if you're going to take them out, take me out too. Right. That's the heart of a man that loves his people. Yep, it is. It is. Well, there you go. Keep reading your Bibles and join with us tomorrow when we tackle more of the book of Exodus. We're getting towards the end of there Exodus here. That's right. So not much more left, but keep reading your Bibles and, uh, and tune in tomorrow. See y'all then. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.